Welcome to Board Game Binge, the place where we bring you bite-sized, bingeable board game content from across the industry. I'm your host, James Staley, and in this episode, we're chatting with Tanner Yarrow of Yarrow Studios, a toy and game maker that has raised over $2 million on Kickstarter and has two utility patents in the gaming world, as well as sold and licensed toys and games all over the world. Here we are for round number two. Tanner, welcome to The Binge. How are you doing? Super good. Feels good to be back. Love, love your show. Love being here. Oh, thanks, man. Hey, it is great to have you here. There were some things that we wanted to uh, get to on uh, the last interview we had with you, um, but we didn't get to it. So we're going to cover some of that off in this interview uh, as well. Uh, we're going to start off talking about your newest Kickstarter. I mean, <laughs> it is doing very, very well. <laughs> very well. So let's talk yeah, a little bit about this. You. So it's called Immersive Battle Atlas. Um, I'm going to get you to explain it in a couple seconds, but first, just for our audience, uh, you're, I'm going to like, to, I like to put this in Canadian dollars cause it's always larger. Okay. You've crossed over $406,000. You still have five days to go. 2,685 backers. That is a, um, a large campaign, I think by, uh, by most measures. So congratulations on that. Um, take us through what is the immersive Battle Atlas. What is it? Yeah. So the first campaign that I did about two years ago was a lay flat book of battle maps. And this one actually was an idea that I was throwing around with the guys at uh, Crown Studios to make just a better, easier to use version of that. So all of the maps are removable. So in that GIF, you can see that that these massive, I mean, that's a player's handbook right there. Wow. So these things are, are way bigger than most people expect. Um, and yeah, it's just a late flat book of battle maps. You know, we, we really have the world against us currently with COVID-19 yeah. and, and November, December being the worst times to launch. Um, that said, I think that we've pulled off a pretty successful campaign. We estimated we would hit about half a million. Wow. And that was before we ever launched. And we figured we would chalk that up as a win. The first campaign, 16,000 backers was, was insane, almost a million dollars. And so that obviously yeah. would be better, but with people not playing in person and, and the timing of the launch, um, that said it was purposeful. Next year, we want to do a campaign every two months. And surprisingly enough, this was my least favorite. So it was, let's get this one done. And um, so it doesn't push away any of the future campaigns for next year. Yeah, let's just get the half a million dollars out of the way, eh? And then get on to the next thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Who did your artwork? I mean, the artwork is amazing. I love it. So that artwork was a guy named Callum Best. He was yep. part of our uh, private Facebook group. Uh, tabletop innovators. The other two are my my uh, Yara Studios artist, in-house artist, and yep. Tochi Bogdan. He's from uh, Italy. Um, That's but super yeah, cool. Yeah. So explain. So I just want to make sure I'm clear. So there, you've said they're kind of these um, battle map books, but is it more like a portfolio where you've got like all these individual maps that are kind of in the portfolio, or how does that work? Yeah. 
Let me. I have one right here in my closet. Two seconds. I'm going to describe this for our listeners who can't see what uh, Yara was about to, uh, or Tanner was about to pull out of his uh, closet here. Um, but when you, when you look at the Kickstarter page online, I, I encourage anybody listening to go check it out. You have these massive pages and each page looks like a topographical map of um, a certain situation. So you might have like a Canyon that's, that's frozen over. There might be kind of a glacial lake. Uh, there could be a desert that has all these, um, different types of jewels and gems kind of baked into the rock and so forth. Uh, it looks like there's another one. There's like a henge and a forest. So it's different environments, which is pretty cool. Um, so is it a book or is it like a portfolio? Yeah. So the first one was a book. This yeah. one is, it's got a nice, it's made out of the same exact material. It just has a top and a bottom Mm-hmm. and it's got a magnetic flap oh very cool and then the pages are even exactly the same material um a little bit thicker due to the latest stretch goal than the last one. Oh wow uh, so i can describe this also for listeners because we just showed is really cool so it, it it looks like kind of like um, a hard case portfolio that looks like a book but when you open up the magnetic flap you have a series of maps on the inside. When you pull the map out, then that map is, is actually folded in half. So it actually folds open flat. Uh, so you have this massive, massive. Uh, yeah, it's massive. Like, yeah, map. Yeah. You can't cool. see it. People don't even realize like pictures don't do it justice. One of the, it's the same size as the first book. And that was the coolest thing was that I was a first time creator. Yeah. I knew that building the best possible product was going to be the most important thing because these people were trusting me to make something that didn't exist yet. And just having it be larger than life, like instantly sealed my fate with my backers. Like Mm. this is a guy that we can trust to perform above and beyond because that was the most feedback that we got was holy crap. This thing is huge. Now take me through also. um, Cause when I, I look at the Kickstarter page here, you have, uh, it looks like three different uh, immersive uh, battle atlases. There's a Dungeons ones, there's a Frozen Wasteland, and there's another one which is like a, uh, I think it's called uh, Planescapes. Are these all included in the same portfolio or are these three separate portfolios? Yeah, so it's three separate portfolios. You okay. have uh, the Frozen Wastes kind of being a, a supplemental map pack for the new Rime of the Frost Maiden. Okay. And, and, I don't know. Winter is in right now. You had the Game of Thrones. Winter is coming. Winter is coming. <laughs> a bunch of uh, board games that are winter themed. And then the new D&D supplement book is winter themed. And there's just not a lot of battle maps. So that one will have Viking villages and frozen tundras and, and ice scapes. And there's a big dragon frozen in ice. So some cool stuff. And the dungeon one is just that it's a bunch of dungeon rooms and transition rooms so that you can put them together to build a big dungeon, 40, 40 maps inside at like 17 by 22. It's like 60 plus feet of dungeon, real, real world dungeon on your table. And then Planescapes was just like everything else that didn't fit. So there's like just things that I want. And that seems to have worked in the past. It's because I never want to build something that I would never use. Sure. And so there's, gnomish tanks and airships and inside the belly of beasts and mushroom gardens just everything that didn't really fit in dungeons and planescapes floating islands 
And then, so when somebody pledges, do they get all three or is there, is the pledge levels kind of, cause I was seeing like the, um, the different uh, pledge levels that you can get uh, one atlas, two atlases or three atlases. So the three atlases, that's basically the three separate atlases you'd have as that, as that pledge. Is that how that works? Yeah. So advice to those listening that want to do Kickstarter, your goal as a product creator should be to increase the average pledge number as high as you can. And so with our first campaign, I just did one book and not really any add-ons and the average pledge was like $40. So with this one, I'm offering three books. There's some add-ons, there's some bonuses. I'm doing packs of six, that's two of each. Our average pledge is around $200, I think. I mean, 314,000 divided by 2,600 is what? Yeah, $120 average pledge. Wow. And so that's, that's actually quite large. Yeah. yeah, just push that up as high as you can. And then the the video I thought was pretty funny. Um, so when you first see the the promo video, uh, it's it's Tanner uh, dressed up as a, as a centaur. So he's got the back half of the horse kind of walking behind him. He, he walks into the room with the mist tail flagging in the background. It's all done practically, right? It's like a skit you've obviously done with uh, with friends and and, and family. Um, I think this to me was a number one. It was funny. I actually enjoyed quite enjoyed the video, um, but it was a testament that you don't necessarily have to go crazy with the animation and you know really high end graphics to to create a fun video. You can create a fun video very practically. And I think back to kind of the you know ten years ago with Kickstarter, a lot of the videos were actually done that way. I've seen more of a trend now uh, with with board games specifically, moving more towards very animated in in the delivery. But it's kind of refreshing when you see these 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 fun videos that are that are done in a practical way. Also, when you scroll through the campaign, I mean, obviously you have very nice, beautiful design, but most of the images are static images highlighting, uh, you know, highlighting the actual campaign. Yes, there's some that'll show, you know, here's how the kind of maps kind of fit together. So you can actually create a, a you know, a sprawling landscape. There's another one that, um, you know, shows how the people might move and it's all done with kind of stop motion. But for the most part, um, you're able to communicate very, very clearly what this campaign is about using great artwork, but not going crazy on the animation and things like that. And uh, so for me, that was, that was a testament that, you know, if there's people out there that think that you have to do these kind of high-end uh, animations uh, to have a successful campaign, here's an example to show you that you don't. I mean, uh, you know, if you're on target to hit about a half a million dollars, um, that that's a huge campaign, right? Yeah, I, I would say I had a I had a unique luxury going in. This yep. being my third campaign. Sure. I have fifteen thousand followers on Instagram. We have a private Facebook group of like six or 7,000 members. And then just within Kickstarter itself, about 18,000 backers that were ready to back whatever I'd put out next. So I was, sure. I was willing to go against what's the new normal and dress up like a centaur. <laughs> but I think it proved that people don't really care. One thing that we've talked to with our marketers and they were very adamant on this. And, and it's a thing that we've learned now since the, the 3d animated stuff. I mean, Kickstarter backers are smart. Mm-hmm. You cannot, you can't pull a fast one over them. You, you, the best thing that you can do is be honest and transparent and 
images that are 3D, and we have a couple of those on the page, yeah. um, especially in ads, don't do nearly as well as photographs of the actual product. Now, some people that are making miniatures, you know, you you might not be able to take it that far. But I mean, what you'd spend on a 3D designer to animate it is way better off getting a prototype as close as you possibly can and True. just taking a picture of it with an iPhone. Yeah. Like that's that's better than than these 3D images. And that's kind of what what we've seen is that especially with board games, um, the more realistic you can show it of having a real functioning product. Mm -hmm. And in the video, the, the much better off you'll be, the more money you'll raise for sure. So would you say some of the success levers that helped you, obviously one is you know having a history of other campaigns that you've run successful that you've now brought some of those backers over. What percentage would you say of, prior backers are backing this campaign like what percentage carry over if you're just a guess you might not have the actual number but yeah i don't have the actual numbers it's something i'll be able to get into a spreadsheet after the campaign more than half would you guess or yeah i might even take it higher yeah 2600 i would say it's probably 70 percent okay. and that's why i always tell people like if you do your first campaign and you only get 200 backers and you barely break 50k just stop spending money go build the product make it the absolute best thing that you possibly can even if yeah. you have to spend a little bit more and make those people happy don't sell it on amazon make those people happy if you have those people happy you can then do a second one i think the perfect example is facade games yeah they have exponentially made more money with each campaign of their board game because they take care of their backers. Now that said, if you look at mine, mine go a million, 600,000, 300,000. Um, and, and there's always a million excuses, COVID, whatever sure. product market fit. But I think that, um, if you just read the comments on the page, you'll see that everybody's pretty happy. Absolutely. And I think that's super important for recouping past backers. And I think a key thing that you highlighted was the audience that you've built too, right? So that is crucial, I would think, for any campaign is you have to start building that audience um, and then create a product that services that audience uh, versus kind of creating a product and you know building it and hoping they will come. They won't, <laughs> right? Yeah, so, I know. Yeah. <laughs> um, would you say, uh, I noticed that you have Green Inbox. I think I saw Crowdox as your pledge manager. So uh, for people out there listening, um, maybe just explain kind of what those two things are very quickly so people understand what is Greenbox Inbox and what is your, your pledge manager and the yeah, role so they play. Yeah, Green Inbox does um, all of the marketing. It's about 90% Facebook ads. Hmm. And I'm pretty sure that includes Instagram. I'm not sure exactly where more of the traffic is coming through. And, um, and then 10% Google ads. Um, I don't have a pledge manager yet. That is my fulfillment company, Crown Studios. Oh, Crown Studios, sorry. I think yeah, it's the previous so, one. I think I saw that on, yeah. Yeah. I'm a big advocate of just having all your ducks in a row before you yeah. pull the trigger. Um, we were doing a live uh, Kickstarter review on my Facebook page. And one thing we were talking about is when a campaign uh, doesn't have those type of things ready to go. They don't have a shipping table. They don't have fulfillment mm -hmm. ready. 
And, and if they were a first time creator and didn't have that stuff ready, like I said, Kickstarter backers are smart. And it was my, my audience were the ones pointing that out and being like, I wouldn't touch this with a hundred foot pole because they don't even know what they're getting themselves into. And so contracting those things out can be very beneficial and very smart. And I, I honestly think green inbox is the absolute best in the biz as far as ads go. Sure. But with that, they're the hot girl in the, in the room and they get to pick who they work with. And so yeah. I send a lot of people their way where they just say, no. Nah. <laughs> so who did this fulfillment? So I apologize for getting that mixed up there. I, I quickly, so the, the, is it called crown studios? Is that the fulfillment company? Yeah. Crown studios. And, and who are they? I, I, I'm not familiar with them. What, what do they do? They are, they do game fulfillment. I, I don't know their full, uh, uh, their full, like, I don't know who they work with totally right now. They're fairly yeah. newer. There's some friends of mine from past companies and past acquaintances that launched their own fulfillment company. Uh, US based or um, were they, were they located? So they are US based, but they have partners in EU, Australia, okay. Canada. And so they're managing the fulfillment of the campaign. They also do all my website fulfillment and it honestly is, they're amazing. It's, it's absolutely perfect. Totally trust them. They take everything from as soon as it's done at the factories, they take it over. They make sure that the boats get there, that the taxes are paid, that they get to their ports, that they get to the backers and I don't have to stress or worry about it at all. And then they just charge a couple bucks on the shipping side. So I, I don't even see that money either. So. Nice. Well, so, and so getting back to kind of this, um, the, the pledge manager that, that I found kind of interesting that you haven't picked one yet, or you haven't decided necessarily if you're going to, if you're going to use a pledge manager, um, and other people who are kind of getting into this game for the first time, maybe under the belief that they got to get that lined up ahead of time. But I guess in this case, you don't necessarily have to get that lined up ahead of time. You maybe, you know, after you start your campaign, yeah. And as I it's going, you can kind of start shopping that, around maybe, right? Yeah. I would argue that there's zero benefit to lining that up beforehand. You'll get locked into percentages and fees mm. that could end up being astronomical. I won't name the original pledge manager that I used, but I they locked me in for a fixed percentage. Mm-hmm. I thought my first campaign was going to do like 100 grand on the high end. And I would kick them a couple thousand bucks and it ended up hitting a million and I ended up paying them like 30 or $40,000. And I have friends who did the same amount on Kickstarter and paid them a thousand bucks flat fee, but they waited to, that's good advice. Yeah. Yeah. And is there any other key levers that you would say for success that people should, should consider when they're doing a campaign? Like, what would you say is the, the biggest thing not to do? Obviously being honest with the people that, uh, you know, they're going to pledge for your game and being honest, what, what you're actually offering and have your ducks in a row and an audience. Um, what are some of the other things you would say are, are kind of key things you try to focus in on when, uh, when you're doing these campaigns? I think a, a big thing, Kickstarter is getting very fat. <laughs> there are a lot of companies and people trying to capitalize on this new influx of gamers it used to not be cool to be a dork yeah and now we're able to frame our comic books and people think that's cool when they visit you in their office and so 
there's been this huge influx of people trying to capitalize on that. Yeah. And you got to set yourself apart by being somebody that is trustworthy. And I think that that is key. Too many people have been burned on Kickstarter by, you know, there's good ideas. One more recently, I've been really following the story very closely and you should do a whole podcast on Kickstarter failures because there was this one, this guy did a table, it did about $600,000 and he was just zero qualification on building a product, ended up sending 400 grand to his factory in China and the guy disappeared with all the money. (laughs) None of the backers got anything and backers are pissed. And so if you're a first time creator, there's going to be a ton of hesitancy. Yeah. And so for me as a first time creator on my first campaign, daily contact with my community, um, full transparency. I walked them through every step of the manufacturing process. I made sure that they knew that my prices were set long before I launched. And some people don't do that. And, and I talk with the guys at green inbox all the time where he'll send me a campaign and say, you know, what do you think about this? Yeah. And I'll be like, yeah, it's a really cool idea. And he'll just be like, it's a cool idea, but I don't think they can pull it off. Yeah. And I don't know what it specifically takes for green inbox, the single greatest Kickstarter marketing team to look at your campaign and say, you don't have what it takes to pull it off. But I mean, (laughs) I don't want to be that way. I'm, I think it's just transparency. Just be open and ready to learn. I mean, he'll deal with a lot of people where he'll say things like you should change this on your page and they'll be like, no, and I want to strangle them and be like, you realize that Green He's Inbox does yeah. like $10 million on Kickstarter a year for like a hundred different companies. They're data driven like you, but that's when, when people are like that, you know, when Green Inbox tells me this is dumb, this should be like this. I'm like, yeah, let's do it. And so I think that's key too. I think a lot of people try to hide their idea and I think you, you needed to share it. Nobody's yeah. going to do it. Now you have some experience in licensing as well, and we didn't get to this on our last uh, interview with you. Um, can you talk a little bit about the the licensing world? Yeah, the licensing world is 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 very interesting and very expensive. Yeah, um, you see licensed games all the time on Kickstarter, mm-hmm. and if they're a first time creator, guaranteed they are their big company or whoever owns the IP just built a Kickstarter page. Very rarely will first time creators get an IP. Um, and by IP, I mean intellectual property, like pick yep. a TV show, they get the, that property to build a game around. And in the licensing world, there's kind of this idea that licensed games suck. And the reason for that is because these big toy and game companies own those licenses for games. Yeah. And they will, I've seen it time and time again, I've been contacted by many of the big players saying, Hey, we have the Indiana Jones license. Can you make a game around it? And when you go that way, you just end up with crap. There's, (laughs) there's rare, there's rare exceptions. The uh, game of Thrones board game is great. 
Um, but outside of that, everything from the choose your own adventure games to the 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 boys game on Kickstarter right now, if you want to look at one that that you can just tell the gameplay was an afterthought. And so so that said, most of the licensors are are, are big players with deep pockets. Yeah. And if you want to push into that, you have to have a very special and unique idea. And the way that it works is if you pick an IP that uh, somebody's already using in a toy, mm-hmm. their, their agreement might cover board games and you might just be out of luck. Oh, wow. So what I would say is if you want to go after intellectual property and kind of use that to sell your product, you have to have a really kick-ass idea. It's got to be a brand new play pattern, something super unique, something that they will see and say, this is going to make us a lot of money because that's all they care about. And then on top of that, you have people that will say, you know, oh, I'm going to go get the Marvel license. And Disney won't even talk to you unless you're willing to front a million bucks. Or you have a track record of a couple million in sales. Or your idea is just so incredibly unique and amazing mm-hmm. and you were chummy enough with the licensor to pull it off a good salesperson those are those i would say are the three kind of unique opportunities in licensing now i've licensed one of my products to warner brothers and wow. that gets really hairy they own so many properties and they need all sorts of permissions so it's right let me see. It's this right here. It's a oh, it's the Lightbrite, uh, 3D Lightbrite, right? Yeah. So one of my patents. You mentioned the patents. I own yeah any three-dimensional light-emitting toy. It's a very broad patent. It was granted last year. Um, it's essentially for those listening, just a three-dimensional Lightbrite. Think in the shape of like a pop vinyl figure or a mm-hmm. vinyl collectible figure with holes that you. can can fill with different colored pegs and there's LEDs inside. So did they approach you or did you approach them? So I approached them. I brought my Glowbot is what it's called. Mm-hmm. And I made it into an Iron Man and I basically approached a mother company. So the mother company owns all these different licenses in the toy and game world. And they'll see the product they like it they'll go shop it around and so i actually made a captain america and an iron man i was shooting for the moon yeah and i turned off all the lights in the pitch meeting and i had it under a box and i lifted up the box yeah and the president of the company just his jaw just hit the floor and he's like we're taking this done that's awesome and and then so then they showed disney and and they got pretty far with disney but again really expensive and Warner Brothers was willing to give us Batman. So we got Batman, uh, Wonder Woman, Joker, Harley Quinn. And that one will hopefully launch sometime this year. So did um, you go through like a broke? Like, so how did you get to this? So this company that licensed the properties, they've got arrangements with Disney and these different, these groups. Is that how that works? Yeah. And so what that does is that helps you bypass those three clauses, right? You either need to have a ton of money up front Yep. You need to have a real good track record of sales or just get incredibly lucky or your aunt is in charge and yeah. you just got to talk to your aunt. And so we went with the middle one, 
we partnered with one of the biggest toy manufacturers in the world, Goliath Games. Wow. And so they were able to say, look, we're helping with this. And so that brought us this huge track record of sales. So then they were willing to partner with us. Now, there's a couple of ways that you meet those types of people. Um, and I would say, you know, with COVID, none of this is happening. But if you want to get into this world, um, I would start as soon as it starts back up, hopefully 2021, the toy and the game shows. Mm. And you want to be very particular about them because Gamma is a great show, but it is it is a mall. It is a shopping center. <laughs> it is open to the public and it is a huge waste of time yeah. from a creator perspective. But the good ones are New York Toy Fair. Um, Nuremberg Toy Fair, Chicago Toy and Game Show. There's one in Texas that I can't remember, but the Chicago Toy and Game Show has a whole section dedicated to creators. And the licensors from Disney and Warner Brothers just walk around with a notepad and they'll say, what's this? And you have 30 seconds and they'll write some stuff down and move on. And so we took our first game, uh, Builder Boom, to one of the toy shows and I remember this old lady walked by and I was so burnt out. This was New York Toy Fair. And I read her plaque and it said Disney. And I was like, <laughs> all right, let's lay down on the floor because this game's best played on the floor. It's a kid's game. Yeah. And she like looked at me over her glasses, this old lady. She's like, you want me on the floor? And I'm like, yeah, oh, I'll help you down. I'll help you up. Like, let's do this. And she thought that that was so awesome and so funny and she had the best time and she's like, we'll be back. And then she left and the execs of Hasbro, Goliath and Spin Master were just following her around. And in two seconds, they were like, who was that? That was Disney, right? <laughs> yes. Okay, what did she want? Show us your game. We want it just because she was interested in it. That's crazy. Wow. And so, yeah. And then there's the licensing show in Las Vegas every year. And, and there's toy and game sections of those too. And so... Go the other way because all the big players with big deep pockets are grabbing IP first, then making games. But yeah. if you can make something unique, you, that's that's pretty much it. That's pretty much the only route I would say. So what's next uh, up for you? What's uh, after uh, the Atlas uh, is done? What do, do you have another project that's going to be coming out maybe in yeah, the first quarter? So or? We got five next year. Wow. We got a new patented way of rolling a D20. Um, I won't say any more than just imagine being able to flip a coin and mechanically get all numbers one through a hundred even. So that's one that I'm pretty excited about because it's less niche than just fantasy role-playing. It kind of fits all board games and yep. mostly role-playing games. I have the, uh, the one I'm most excited about, and since this is a board game show, I'll, I'll kind of mention, and I'm sure we'll get on the show again when it comes out, but it's, <laughs> the, it's Duck Duck Game, the board game. So it's Duck Duck Goose, the, the board game, the card game. Okay. It's purposefully designed to suck. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but long story super short, you quickly realize that the lead game designer of Duck Duck Game is being held hostage, and he's hidden clues in the game to help you solve his murder. So it's essentially the first alternate reality board game where you're 
calling customer service and lighting cards on fire. I don't want to get too into it, but it's that wow. one's going to be early next year and it's going to be uh, nothing like it has ever been done before. And that one we can kind of dive into maybe a little bit later, but absolutely. We're really for 2021. I tell you, it is absolutely awesome to have you on this podcast uh, with each of these interviews. I learn something new every time. So uh, you're definitely welcome back uh, for the next one. That'll be early in the new year. Uh, I just want to say uh, thanks again and uh, all the best to you and your family and uh, in this holiday season. Thanks, James. Have a good one, man. Take care, man. Cheers. Okay, see ya. This has been an episode of the Board Game Binge Podcast, hosted by James Staley, produced by James Staley and Mike Bruner, with original music by Nick Smith. If you would like to watch these interviews live, simply join the Facebook group Board Game Binge, and you'll get access to live interviews, giveaways, and interesting board game content from across the industry. I can't wait for you to join us. See you next time. Thank you.